great pleasure for me to be able to come here and speak to you and speak about something very important, namely confession, what we also call the sacrament of reconciliation or penance. And I'm giving you this talk, I've been asked to give you this talk now towards the beginning of your weekend together, your weekend here with the Lord, so that this can be one of the things you have to help prepare you um, for what the Lord might be offering you these next few days. So I think you've been talking about Jonah and how Jonah was called by the Lord and Jonah did great mighty things. But he didn't at first. He didn't want to follow the Lord and he had to change what was in his heart in his reluctance to follow the Lord if the Lord was going to work great things for him, through him. And it's the same with you these next days. If God's going to do something for you this weekend, then you need to open your heart to him. And one of the big ways we do that is by purifying our heart of what's wrong in sin, which we do in confession. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to make four points in a little talk I'm going to give you. First, that we need to know that we're sinners. Secondly, that we need to know that we're forgiven. Third, that I'm going to say a little bit about how we can increase how much we know about ourselves, grow in self-knowledge, grow in knowledge of our sins. And finally, how we can take our going to confession and take stuff out of that that will then change the rest of our lives. So firstly, um, that we need to know that we're a sinner. Now, why do we need to know that we're sinners? Well, we need to know that we're sinners because we need to know that there's something wrong, wrong with me. It's very easy in life to always be blaming other people, that all the little problems that you've got in life, that you're always blaming other people. I had an example of this just this afternoon. I was just early this afternoon, I was adoring the Lord in church with people, and I was annoyed with some little old ladies. There was Mrs. Muggins, I won't give you their real names, sat on one side of the church, and she likes to do the prayers in her speed. And there's another lady who sits on the other side of the church, and she doesn't like the speed, and she doesn't like the way that the other lady does it, and, she, and they both battle out each prayer. So, you know, I'm trying to focus on the Lord, and all I can think about is these two ladies. Um, and I'm annoyed. more annoyed than I should be, that actually they are praying, they are there before the Lord, and all I'm thinking about is how annoying their voices are, but the problem is in me, and I need to know that I've got the problem, that I'm the sinner, if I'm actually going to be able to move forward. Um, so we've got to admit that there's something wrong with us. That's what we call sin, the thing that's wrong with us. When I was your age, there was a book that was very fashionable that kind of pretended that there wasn't really much wrong with you. It was a book called, I'm okay, you're okay. We're all okay. Um, and you've probably heard of Mother Teresa, the great saint of Calcutta. And she saw this book once. She saw it in a seminary 
And she saw this book saying, I'm okay, you're okay. And she looked at it with horror and she said, I'm not okay. And you're not okay. And it's not okay. But there's something wrong with us. Something in my heart, something in your heart that isn't okay. And that's what we call sin. And we need to, um, we need to address that. And that's what we do in confession. So the Bible, the Bible actually talks about people that think that there's nothing wrong with them. We read in the first letter of John, um, where he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. Whereas if we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So the Lord Jesus has died for your sins. And so if you say, well, actually, there's nothing really wrong with me, you're saying he didn't need to die for you. You're calling him a liar. And it's not a new problem, but it is very much a problem of our modern age. It's a very modern thing these days for people to think there's nothing wrong with them. So popes, lots of the recent popes, Pope John Paul II, Pope um, Benedict after him, um, Pope Francis, all talk about a thing called the, the loss of the sense of sin. That modern people don't think there is such a thing as sin. They think there isn't a, a God up there for you to have sinned against. They think that your time is just your own. Whereas if there is a God, then we belong to him. And if I'm wasting my life, well, I'm wasting the life he's given to me. I'm wasting the time he's given to me. Let me make a, a different comparison. Um, catechisms makes the comparison with going to a doctor. Now, I think most of us know the experience of going to the doctor can be very embarrassing. That if you've got something wrong with you and you've got to point it to the doctor, you've got to take your clothes off maybe, it can be very embarrassing to go to the doctor. People don't like to do it. But the Catechism says, if the sick person is too ashamed to show his wound to the doctor, then the medicine cannot heal what it does not know. You've got to show your wound to the doctor if you're going to get better. And it's the same with going to confession. That if I'm too embarrassed to show the priest the sins of my heart that need to be healed, then I'm not going to be healed. I'm not going to be forgiven. So it's a good thing to do that. Good thing to take our problems to the Lord in the person of the priest. So, know that you're a sinner. But, knowledge of sin isn't a thing that should end in itself. It should end with knowing that we're forgiven. That if I know I'm a sinner, then it should lead me to the Lord, the same Lord who's here before us for us to adore. But if I know I'm weak, I know I'm small, 
I know I've sinned against him. I know I need to be forgiven. Well, all that gives me a reason to turn to him, to be forgiven. If you think of it another way, if you know there's somebody there, namely the Lord, who wants to forgive you, then that actually gives you the courage to admit there's something wrong, gives you the courage to confess. It's when we think that there isn't anybody who's able to forgive us that we can not want to admit that there's something wrong. So guilt can be a healthy thing. Um, a healthy thing in that it leads us to the one who can take away our guilt if we first admitted it's a problem. So if you do something wrong and you think there's nothing wrong in what you've done, well, that's not a good sign. It's actually a sign of something being wrong in your conscience. If I hit my little sister and I don't think I've done something wrong, well, that's not a sign that I'm free. It's a sign that actually I'm just not a very... I don't know reality. I don't know what I've done. But if we do know what we've done and we bring it to the Lord, then he can set us free. He can liberate us from our guilt and we can be forgiven. Okay, the third point I said I was going to say, how to grow in self-knowledge. So if we want to confess our sins. Maybe we know in general that we are sinners because we've read, read it in the Bible. Jesus tells us so. Well, how do you grow in knowing what your sins are? It's a really important thing to know, know yourself. So the ancient, so ancient philosophy Socrates, philosopher Socrates said, to know yourself. And that includes knowing what's wrong with you, knowing your sins. So I think we all can have that experience where you meet people who don't seem to know themselves at all. You can meet people that are really loud and dominant or really aggressive and pushy and they just don't seem to know the effect they're having on everybody else. Well, it's important that we do know ourselves. Well, how do we do that? Well, you've all, I'm sure, seen examinations of conscience before, but uh, in the little booklets you've got for the weekend, there's an examination of conscience um, that I've drawn up based on the seven deadly sins. And when we have a written list like that, it helps us in a way that's like looking in a mirror. So if you've got some ugly spot on your face, well, you can't see it, but everybody else can see it. Well, you can't see it until you look in the mirror. And then you can see what everybody else can see all the time. And a written examination of conscience can be like that. It's somebody else writing a list of sins that you may well have committed, but you haven't even thought about. So it's like a, a mirror reflecting back to us to help us see uh, what's really there, what's already there. So if you're going to grow in self-knowledge, well, one of the ways to do that is to look at a, a written list like that. And it could be a good idea also to vary which list you use. So you know, lots of different books have different examinations of conscience. Um, and if you look at a different list, it might phrase things differently to help you 
think of something you didn't think of before. Let me point out, though, um, a particular practice, namely the importance of making a nighttime examination of your conscience. Now, maybe you do this already, but if you don't, uh, it's a very ancient practice in the church to, at the end of the day, make your little day be a small version of your life. Because at the end of your life, you will stand before the judgment of God. There will be a final examination of your conscience then. And at the end of a day, it's like a short life, you can, it's a suitable, logical, sensible time to stop and examine yourself. Stop and think of what's happened during the day. To thank God for the good things, um, to see what those good things are but also to see what the bad things have been that you've done, to examine your conscience before the Lord. And if you ever go to a monastery, this is um, a pattern you'll see that they do there. If you go to a convent, they'll do the same. They'll have, at the end of the day, they'll have a, an examination in common. And that practice is spread um, through the church as a logical thing for all of us to do. Let me point out um, further a particular way you can do that. There's what's called a general examination and what's called a particular examination. So a general examination is when you're examining everything. So I don't, at the end of the day, I would think of all the different sins through the day. I'd think of anger and impatience. I'd think of laziness. I'd think of gluttony. I'd think of all kinds of things. I'd examine everything. But there's a particular practice called um, the particular examination. When I have one thing in my life that I'm <coughs> focusing on, one thing on my life that I'm working on, and at the end of the day I particularly focus on that one question. So for myself, every month, uh, when I see my, I've got a spiritual director, a priest I go and meet, and he helps me examine myself and work on things, um, but I always change what's the particular focus going to be for the next month. Um, and usually that will be a sin. So it might be something as small and particular as the speed with which I leap out of bed when the alarm clock goes off. Because that can be a small thing, but a thing that sets me off on a good trajectory for the day or a bad trajectory for the day. Or it might be just how I relate to one single individual. Or it might be just those two ladies and their annoying voices during, during prayers at church. And that one thing and how I am patient or not with them is a particular focus. And so at the end of each day, I ask myself in particular, that one thing I'm working on, that one thing I'm trying to improve on, how am I doing with that? And that can be a way, therefore, to help us slowly progress through different sins. Another way of helping know yourself and help grow in self-knowledge, um, the examination I've given you in your booklets is on the seven deadly sins. And that's not the same as having an examination on the Ten Commandments. 
that if you have a list of rules, usually rules will be very tidy and specific. But the seven deadly sins are clusters of things, things that group together, what sometimes are called root sins. So if you have a sin of pride, one of those seven deadly sins, that will blossom in a whole bunch of other sins, like stubbornness and judging others and critically gossiping about others. Did that that our sins frequently are in clusters, they're groups that all relate to each other. So if you look at those seven deadly sins, that can help you see a whole group of things that are all related to each other. And in tackling one of those, you will indirectly tackle all kinds of things that are related together. And most of us will have something of those seven deadly sins within us. So on that sheet, um, there's a thing called an anagram, a way of remembering. Uh, you think of the word places G, places G. Then you can remember all of the seven deadly sins. Pride, lust, um, anger, covetousness, envy, sloth, and gluttony. That each one of those sevens, almost certainly in each of us, to some degree, and that can help, by going through those seven, help broaden what we're looking at in our life. Right, the last thing I want to say about confession um, is an important thing if, when I go to confession, it's going to change my life afterwards. Um, so it's possible to go to confession, say everything you've done, but actually it doesn't change anything in your life. And that might be because actually you weren't really very sorry for it. So one of the things that we need to have in our heart is a sincerity in sorrow, what's called a, a purpose of amendment. Purpose of amendment means I intend not to do it again. So if I hit my little sister, but I fully intend to do it in five minutes' time as well, because she's always annoying me, um, well, then I'm not really sorry. If I steal money from somebody, and I say I'm sorry, but I don't give them the money back, well, then I'm not really sorry. If I do something today and intend to do it tomorrow, well, then I'm not sorry for having done it today. So part of being sorry is to intend not to do it again. And this is what we call a purpose of amendment. So one of the ways to make your confession change your life is to focus your resolution, your, the clarity with which you are sorry. To not just see what is wrong, but to say, Lord, I don't want to do that again. Lord, I see that these things I've done are wrong, I am sorry, and I resolve not to do them again. So I'd imagine most of you would say one of the, the most common forms of an act of contrition in which we say, I will not sin again. And that's just a way of expressing that. So one of the, the most simple ways of making sure your confession changes the rest of your life is 
before you go to confession, just clarifying in your mind your resolution not to sin again. And of course, we know we're weak. We know that we're inclined to sin. But that's not the same thing as intending to sin. So, I might know that I tend to be impatient, but I can still intend not to be, intend to battle against it. Um, and that's what's called a purpose for me, that it is my intention not to do it again. A link with that, um, a final point about resolutions. So if I'm going to see something I've done wrong, and I go to confession and I confess it, well, how do I stop doing it again? Well, a resolution is a particular plan of how I'm not going to do it. So I see I've got some problem. I see there's some sin I commit. Well, a resolution is having some small plan of how not to do it again. So maybe gluttony is a problem for you and you're frequently overeating. Well, maybe you could just have a small, simple resolution that the hour before lunch, I won't hang around in the kitchen so that I therefore am putting myself away from those temptations to, to snack. Or... Maybe you go to confession and you confess that you were particularly impatient to your mother yesterday. Well, how would you make a resolution to avoid that? Well, you could make a simple resolution that the next day, first thing in the morning, first thing you see her, you will greet her in a particularly cheerful and pleasant way. So that that first moment greeting is putting on a new So let me sum that all up again. So what have I said? I've said about confession. Um, if we're going to go to confession, we need to know that we're sinners. We've got to see that there's something wrong, not with everybody else, but something wrong in me. And if I see that there's something wrong with me, well, that should lead me to the one who can do something about it, namely the Lord. So to not just know I'm a sinner, but to know I'm forgiven. To go to confession to have the psychological gift of hearing those words from somebody else. Say, you are forgiven. I forgive you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. To grow in self-knowledge by regularly reflecting on yourself, regularly examining your conscience, particularly at the end of the day. And to take your confession out into the rest of your life. Um, by making sure you focus on being sincere in your sorrow to the Lord um, and resolving in small little plans how to avoid those sins in the future. All right, in your discussion groups, um, I've got some questions here for you to take into your discussion groups. And in each of these um, things, there are four different examples here. And what I want you to do is to compare your behavior with that of the Lord. So I've given, in each of those, 
a little description of something the Lord Jesus did in the Gospels and to think about how when we behave, we do or don't do the same as him. Now, before I send you off with those, I want to explain one of them because people often get confused about Jesus being angry because, you know, there's um, one time in the Gospels when it's the Gospels describe to us Jesus getting angry, and that's um, in the temple. He cleansed the temple. Uh, and people say, well, anger's a sin, so how could Jesus get angry? Well, not all anger is a sin. There's what's called righteous anger as well as unrighteous anger. And the anger Jesus had wasn't anger for himself, but anger for God's house, that the people were um, being sacrilegious, mistreating, abusing the house of God, the temple. So his anger was anger for somebody else, to defend somebody else's rights. Um, whereas you and I, when we're sinfully angry, will usually be angry about ourselves. And that's a sign of the difference um, between the Lord's righteous anger uh, and our own. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. We'd like to speak by the name of God.